Well, this evening, we move on to chapter 23 in the Confession. I want to read two passages as we start. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20. It says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him, and to Him you shall hold fast and take oaths in His name. Then in Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 to 37, Jesus says, But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You notice those two passages? One, we see in Deuteronomy the command to take oaths in his name. And then Jesus in the New Testament saying, let your yes be yes and your no, no. We have to say, how do we reconcile Scripture? Scripture does not contradict itself. So how do we see a command to take oaths in his name, but then Jesus saying, let our yes be yes and our no, No. It's always challenging when we just grab a passage and we we can build unsound theology by just picking and choosing verses. And and I, I see this battle often by people who will find one verse and say, well, I see this here, but then ignore the whole scope of Scripture. And to see tonight, I want us to see that Oaths and vows are proper in the right placement and context of how God has designed them. I want us to take a little look, and I stand on the shoulders of Sam Waldron and kind of compiling, I think it's eight or nine different things that we see that the validity of commands to place vows and oaths and how they are lawful in the proper context. First of all, and you want to, if you want to look at the screen, I put them on the screen just because sometimes, especially when there's longer statements, it's hard to follow. But first of all, so the command to not swear falsely in God's name assumes lawfulness, that the, that the inverse is true. Again, Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Often we apply that commandment to not swearing, not swearing uh, like using a cuss word. But yet we understand in the, the scope of Scripture when it speaks taking the Lord's name in vain or, uh, or swearing falsely, it's actually to pronounce a promise and not fulfill, to promise something in God's name and not fulfill it. So we see that we're told not to take the Lord's name in vain, to promise something and not fulfill it. Because why is that wrong? What is God's character? Sin is what God is not, and God is truth. And so he always does what is true, for it comes out of him. And to take the Lord's name in vain is to speak falsely. And so we understand that if we're told not to swear falsely, that we can 
in some way swear truthfully. The second thing is the command to swear only by God's name assumes lawfulness. And again, we saw this verse just a moment ago in Deuteronomy 10.20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. And to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. If we're commanded to take oaths in his name, then the lawfulness must be there. Thirdly, the example of God himself taking an oath indicates lawfulness. We see this in Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will give, excuse me, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men, indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is from them an end of all dispute. So, We see the writer of Hebrews speaking of how God with Abraham swore upon himself. So if if God has done it, we see that it's commanded. It must be lawful. We see the example of Old Testament saints. And therefore it indicates the lawfulness. Abraham himself in Genesis chapter 24 verse 3 And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, and you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. We see the example of Jacob, Joseph, Elijah, and Nehemiah, all swearing an oath. So to then say, if this is not lawful, we're contradicting scripture. The law of Moses in Exodus chapter 22, verse 11 says, then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both, that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that, and he shall not make it good. There's that command in the law of Moses that an oath of the Lord shall be taken place. The prophet's predictions indicated their lawfulness speaking of the oaths and when they when the nation israel would disobey those oaths and the consequences but isaiah 65 16 so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the god of truth and he who swears in the earth shall swear by the god of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they're hidden from my eyes Christ himself standing on trial, we see his example not contradicting, but allowing himself to be put under oath. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 62 to 64, And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. He did not say no. The Son of Man is not to be put under oath. Instead, he acknowledged and went with that command that he was being put under oath. And lastly, we see Paul's example shows that oaths are lawful. Romans 1, 9 He says, for God is my witness, 
the putting himself under oath, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So how do we reconcile these things? If Jesus has said, let your yes be yes and your no, no, it's important to see the context of what Jesus was speaking on there in Matthew chapter 5. He is contrasting the Pharisaical additions to the law that they had taken and then they had tried to add all these superfluous things. And so they were not swearing by God's name. They were trying to swear by God's throne, by heaven, by Jerusalem, by all of these other things to make their promises sound greater. Oh, you, you, you set your vows on this. We set our vows on this. That's what Jesus is contradicting, that we're not to be swearing upon anything else except God himself and his name. And so we see that, law, that, the, um, that vows and oaths are lawful. Anyway, before I move into the actual confession, it's good to ask ourselves, what is the difference? What's the definition of a vow and an oath? Because in the confession and throughout Scripture, they're kind of used interchangeably. That how we enter into them and how uh, the attitudes which we enter them and the judgment we bring upon ourselves in not following those are equal. The difference is this. A vow is a promise to the Lord. It's a commitment. We, we see the, um, the Nazarite vow, the not trimming of the beard, to, to refrain from uh, eating certain things and, and drinking of the fruit of the vine. It was a vow. It was a vow directly between man and God. An oath is slightly different. It's a promise, notice the wording on the screen, before the Lord, but to man. One could even say that marriage is an oath. Because in the presence of God, we are making this commitment. And so that's the difference. A vow is directly between us and God, an oath is between man before God. It's a confirmation of the word that is being proclaimed, a a promise that will guarantee that which is happening. I lay all that foundation because the confession summarizes scripture very clearly. And I I just want to read through it and it will lay it out there plainly for us. But paragraph number one Chapter 23 in the Confession. A lawful oath is a part of a religious worship, wherein the person swearing in truth, righteousness, and judgment solemnly calls God to witness that he swears and to judge him accordingly to the truth or falseness thereof. When we take an oath, How often are we thinking of that? If you've ever had to, I remember as a a teenager, I did a ride along with a police officer who was in our church and I witnessed a woman running the red light and uh, she wanted to argue it. And so I had to go to court and be a witness. And what happens before you become a witness? You have to swear an oath. Do you testify that the things that you say are truth, the holy truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I don't know if they still say the last line. 
but you're putting yourself under oath. But notice that last line, so help you God, because the oath is between you and the judge to speak truth, but it is before God. And thus, because it is before God, it's a religious worship. It's an act of of bringing the Lord into this situation. Paragraph 2. The name of God only is that by which men ought to swear. This is where the differentiation, where Jesus is saying, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Our emphasis needs to be there, but there are times for oaths. Continue. And therein is to be used with all holy fear and reverence. Therefore, to swear vainly or rashly by, this, by that glorious and dreadful name or to swear at all by any other thing is sinful and to be abhorred. How many is a little kid? Do you pinky swear? Do you swear on your mama? Like all those little things that we would add. This is what we're talking about, how we're not to swear on those things. We're to swear upon the name of God only. Yet, as a matter of weight and moment for confirmation of truth and ending all strife, an oath is warranted by the word of God. So a lawful oath being imposed by lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. Number three, or paragraph three. Whosoever takes an oath warranted by the word of God ought duly to consider the weightiness of so solemn an act. And therein to avouch nothing but what he knows to be truth. For that by rash, false, and vain oaths the Lord is provoked. And for them this land mourns. That last line, for them this land mourns, you see in the prophet. uh, I believe it's Isaiah proclaiming judgment upon the nation and upon the land because they broke the vow. They broke the oath. Paragraph 4, an oath is to be taken in the plain and common sense of the words without equivocation or mental reservation. That's a statement that's picking apart the words of the Pharisees who sometimes would even try to say oaths in such a way that they could wiggle themselves out. Kind of like, well, I had my fingers crossed behind my back. I, I said this, but I meant this. But we're to take them in the clear sense of the words. Paragraph 5, a vow which is not to be made to any creature, but to God alone, is to be made and performed with all religious care and faithfulness. But popish monastical vows of perpetual single life, professed poverty, and regular obedience are so far from being degrees of higher perfection that they are superstitious and sinful snares in which no Christian may entangle himself. We'll see... uh, as we saw here and uh, in the next, uh, the next chapter, that there were some clear lines drawn between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church through the confessions to say that these vows of, of singleness, the, the vows of uh, um, celibacy, of um, the vows of not speaking, or is what it says, superstitious and sinful snares. Again, it's interesting, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, I think, has uh, seven or eight paragraphs uh, for this chapter. Um, some of the things that they talk about uh, are we should never enter into an oath 
that would cause us to sin. But yet we, we see that um, with the weightiness of them, we understand that to be an implication. But we are never in sin if we're not willing to take an oath. That's something our Baptist brothers and sisters had an issue with our Presbyterian brothers. When they were writing this, they left that line out. Because the Westminster Confession of Faith states, if, you don't, if you're told to take an, uh, an oath and you're not willing to, you are in sin. But yet, in our own conscience, there may be something that we say, I understand the weightiness of this and I don't want to enter into this oath. And we're not in sin to not do that. That no one can force us into an oath but it is something we willfully come under. But when we do, again, as we saw in those paragraphs, we're to come with weightiness to understand the gravity of when we are giving an oath to another person or a vow to God, it's a serious matter. It's not something we should do flippantly. Understanding, because breaking that oath and vow is taking the Lord's name in vain. We are contradicting His character And we are to be people that when we say yes, it's yes. When we say no, that it's no. Because God is truth and we are his followers. We are to be people of truth. So we took kind of a a chapter that we kind of say, how does this all fit? And I hope we brought a little bit of clarity in understanding the biblical reasons for those. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact that you are true. And Lord, how you have called us, Lord, as we walk in your statutes, to be people of truth. And Lord, there are times when it is fitting to enter into a a solemn oath. Lord, help us to be careful in how we enter those things. Help us to be thoughtful and to understand the gravity of what you're calling us to when we swear by your name and your name only. God, help us to be examples of of your truthfulness in the world. Lord, that people would know that, that we are your followers when we say yes, that we will do something, that we follow through. Lord, we pray that we would be reflectors of your great character in all areas of our life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.